Good morning, church. How is everyone? Everyone good? Let's try that again. How, good morning, church. Everybody good? Are you glad to be here? Awesome. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm so glad you got to see me this morning. Why don't you go ahead and tell them that? Hey, what a joy it is to be here. Hey, and can we give the Lord a hand for this amazing worship band just leading us to the throne room of grace? Wow. And uh, as already been mentioned, my name is Shane Pruitt. It's an honor to be with you. Uh, I serve as the National Next Gen Evangelism Director with the North American Mission Board, which all that means is I get to travel all over the nation uh, and speak to, na- to the next generation, young adults, college students, uh, teenagers, love it. And uh, that's actually how I met your pastors. We were speaking at an event together. And I want you to know, every week I'm in multiple different events, conferences, churches, and what I've learned is a good pastor is a gift from our great God, and the Lord has blessed this church with an incredible pastor. Don't you appreciate Pastor Tom? And Oh my gosh. And as you know, he's one of the best communicators of the gospel in the country, so the Lord has put him here and blessed your church with him. Um, and uh, as he mentioned, uh, I do have uh, a new book called uh, Nine Common Lies That Christians Believe, and the big picture of the book is this, that there are some uh, one-liners, some cultural cliches that we as the church, for lack of a better term, have adopted into our vernacular, baptized them, and really have made them a part of our everyday conversations that aren't biblically true. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever heard this cliche before? God won't give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever heard that? All right. Uh, how did 2020 work out for you, right? Uh, what about this one? Follow your heart. What about this one? Believe in yourself. Or what about if a loved one dies, God gains another angel? Listen, what if those are more than sentiments? What if they're actually lies that will hold us back in our faith? Because if you think about it, we typically share those with people who are struggling. You don't say, God won't give you more than you can handle to someone who's having the best day of their life. You usually share it with someone who is struggling. And what we know is what's going to get us through those dark nights of the soul is God's holy word and not some cultural cliche that's not even biblically true. Would you agree with that? So each chapter takes one of those cliches, and then what does the Bible actually have to teach about that and a better truth to move forward with? So we do have copies available after the service. Um, I would love to meet you, and I'll be there. would love for you to grab that. And please hear my heart in that. God's done amazing things with that book. And um, it's been really cool, but please hear my heart in that. And no way to bring attention to myself. God truly gets the glory, because I want you to know I'm a moron, all right? Uh, I grew up in the country, uh, so me and my friends, we used to time each other how long we could hold on to an electric fence without letting go, all right? So I don't have a lot of brain cells left, so God truly, really gets the glory on that. And then also I want to tell you about a free resource. If you have your phone, would you get your phone out real quick? I want to tell you about a free resource um, it's a YouTube channel that we just created called Gen Sin Conversations, all geared towards young adults, young families, college students, teenagers. And basically, every other week, we put a message on there uh, that is myself or an invited-in guest. Uh, we have worship songs on there by the Initiative uh, Worship Collective. And they're just free videos, a healthy channel to be able to send people to. And maybe you have someone that you've been wanting to invite to church. They won't come to church with you yet, so maybe they would watch a video that talks about Jesus and really even leads them uh, to faith in Christ uh, if they so choose to do that. And so I want to share that with you. If you'll just open your text messages in the body of a new text, just type out the word conversations and then send it to 
one, two, three, push send, you'll get a response back. Click that link, uh, and you can subscribe to that channel. Um, and then you'll just get like a text reminder every other week when we post a new video. They're really short. I think you'll enjoy them. And it's something great you can share with others. So just text the word conversations to 888-123, and that's an absolutely free resource. But more important than any of that, we're going to dive in to God's holy word. Is that okay? Is everybody okay with that? All right. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians is right after 1 Corinthians. Does that help anybody? All right, the verses will also be on the screen or scroll in your phone to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I want you to know, church, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, in fact, I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. I remember vividly of what it was like to live without Jesus. It's much better with Jesus. Would you agree with that? So I want you to know I get excited, get a little passionate Um, uh, I want you to know I'm also one of those preachers. I welcome amens. I welcome praise the Lord's. I welcome hallelujahs. In fact, I'm going to make a deal with you. For every amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, I hear, I'm going to take 30 seconds off the sermon. How about that? (laughs) Amen. All right. There you go. All right. All right. So what we're going to talk about today is continuing on in really this, in the sermon series y'all been in where it's like every member. Today we're going to talk about every member on mission. Every member on mission mission. See, when God saves us, he doesn't just save us from things. That's typically what we talk about, right? The gospel saves us from things. The gospel saves us from hell. The gospel saves us from sin. The gospel saves us from destruction. But you also need to know that when God saves us, he also saves us to some things. That the gospel saves us to things. Like the gospel saves us to heaven. The gospel saves us to a relationship with Jesus, that God saves us to a family, to a community, to a kingdom, to a church, and also to a mission. And I want you to see that in the Bible. So if you have something to write on, would you go ahead and get that out? If you have something to write with, go ahead and get that out, because I want to give you three things that God has given every single follower of Jesus, and I believe it'll be a help to you in the days, weeks, months years to come, or you can type them out in the notes section on your phone. All right, so look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and I love how the Apostle Paul writes, because before he ever tells us to do something, he'll remind us of who we are. So it's kind of like this, he'll remind us of the gospel and how the gospel changes who we are. And he'll say, because the gospel changes who we are, the gospel should also change what we do, meaning how we live. And so look at verse 17. He reminds us of the gospel before he calls us to really anything. He's going to remind us how we're first called to the gospel. Now, you'll recognize verse 17. You've probably seen it on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. And it's a great verse. Look at this. It says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. You're going to help me this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Anybody happy about that? Look at this. It says, the old has passed away. Anybody happy about that? Anybody ever made a mistake before? Anybody ever had to say the word oops before? Uh, Anybody in here not perfect? All right. There's no holier than thou's in here. Some of you are looking at me and go, well, I am. The Bible says you should not tell a lie. So raise your hand if you've ever told a lie before. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying right now, sinner, all right? 
The old has passed away. That's good news. Look at this. Behold, the new has come. So it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. That the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because of the gospel work in our life, we are literally new creations. Um, the Bible says we were born lost, met Jesus, now we're found, new creation. We were orphans because of sin, met Jesus, now we're children of the Most High God, new creation. We were spiritually dead, met Jesus, now we're spiritually alive, new creation. God saved us and made us new, but it didn't stop there. He called us to some things. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to even kind of write it like this, put, because I am a new creation... And now I'm going to give you three things God's given you because you are a new creation if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit of God. So look at verse 18. Let me give you the first thing he's given you if you are a new creation. Look at verse 18. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What does that word reconciled mean? The word reconciled means there is a broken relationship that has to be fixed. So through Christ, he reconciled us to himself and gave us, turn to your neighbor and say, gave you, you're going to help me this morning, say, gave you the what? What does your Bible say? Gave us the what? Ministry of reconciliation. So number one, write that down. You have a ministry. If you're a new creation in Christ, you have a ministry. Now we're going to do a little exercise here. Be bold with it. All right, if you say, Shane, I have been bought by the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. I know without a doubt I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. If you know that without a doubt, sitting in this room or watching online, would you just raise your hand? All right, all right, raise your hand. You say, all right, awesome. All right, now leave your hand up, leave your hand up. All right, hey, now I want you to leave your hand up if God's called you to ministry. All right, Pastor Tom's looking, all right? Hey, leave your hand up if you're a missionary. All right, let's try this again, all right? Hey, if you know, without a doubt, you are a follower of Jesus, put your hand up proud, all right? Be proud, all right? Now, I want you to look. Look at all these people called to ministry. Look at all these missionaries. I want you to write this down. If you're a Christian, you're called to ministry. If you're a Christian, you are a missionary. Now, you may not be called to be a pastor of a church or to be on the stage or anything like that, but you are called to ministry. See, often in the American church, we often operate like this, right? You get saved, then you get dunked in water, then you sit on your blessed assurances, going to a bunch of potluck dinners, waiting for the rapture bus to swoop down and pick us all up, and then in the meantime, we watch all the professional Christians do the ministry. Who are the professional Christians? the pastor, and the church staff. And the moment they do ministry in a way we don't like, we write them a little email in Jesus' name. But that's not the New Testament church. See, the New Testament church says our leaders are to practice Ephesians 4.12. What is Ephesians 4.12? That our leaders, watch this, are to equip the saints for ministry. Now, who's the saints? It's not just a football team in New Orleans. It's not just people in old paintings with halos around their head. We're saints. Did you know that you are a saint of God? Does anybody ever feel more like an ain't than a saint? I do, all right. But you are a saint of the Most High God. And the reason 
our leaders are called to equip the saints for ministry, it's because all saints are called to ministry. And you'll go, well, Shane, if I'm called to ministry, if I'm called to live on mission, every member on mission, if I'm a missionary, then what is my ministry? What is my mission field? I want everybody to put both your feet on the floor real quick. Would you just do that? All right, we're going to do this little exercise. Put both your feet on the floor. All right, do you see that floor between your two feet? That floor or ground between your two feet at any point of the day is your mission field. That's your ministry. So it changes everything. Like school is more than a place to make grades. It's your ministry. It's your mission field. How many of you go to school with people that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Yeah, that's your ministry. That's your mission field. Your job. Your job is more than a place to make a paycheck. How many of you work with people that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior? That's your ministry. That's your mission field. Listen, let's just be honest. You may hate your job, but you need to love your mission field. There are people there who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we need to realize this, that today there are 7.7 billion people in the world. But there's only two kinds. Those that know Jesus on their way to heaven or those that don't know Jesus on their way to hell. And God has saved us to send us into mission fields to know him and make him known. What about your family? How many of you have family members that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? I do. Can we be honest? Isn't sometimes our family the most difficult to tell them about Jesus? And some of our family the most difficult to minister to sometimes? Because every family's got at least one weirdo in it, right? The weird cousin, the weird uncle. Right now, once you think of who the one weirdo is in your family, if you can't think of anybody, it's you. You're the one, all right? But that's our ministry. That's our mission field. What about our neighborhoods? We agree, not everybody who lives in the South is a Christian. They may think they are. I live in Texas. Like God, country, and guns, but lost and on their way to hell. They don't know Jesus. They may know a lot about him, but they don't know him. Listen, this is our ministry. This is our mission field. Every member on mission. You don't get to sit this one out. And then the nations. That's our ministry. That's our mission field. We're called to do that. To know Jesus and make Jesus known. That is our mission. If you think about it, we don't just get saved only just so we can go to uh, heaven one day. If you think about it, if getting saved just was so you could go to heaven one day, wouldn't it make sense that the moment that you got saved, God would call you home? But guess what? We're all still here. Why are we still here? To know Jesus and make Jesus known. That's our mission. Every member on mission. Now, let me encourage you with this. We should be bold in our faith. We should be confident in our faith. It's time for the church to stand up. But nowhere in the Bible does it give us an excuse to be a jerk for Jesus. So don't be a jerk in your mission field. One thing I've had to learn is the wrath of shame does not lead to repentance. The kindness of God does. So don't be like my friend Timothy. I was a youth pastor for a long time and we had a seventh grader in our group named Timothy and he was one of those blessings from the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? And it was a Wednesday night, we were there early, and we're setting up for youth worship service, setting up the chairs, and he gets there early, and I go, bro, what are you doing here? Why aren't you at school? And he goes, hey, you know how you tell us our school is a mission field, and that we're missionaries? And I was like, yeah, man. And he goes, well, today, 
I got persecuted like the Apostle Paul in my mission field. And I knew Timothy. And I was like, well, bro, what happened? And he goes, well, my seventh grade homeroom class is all boys. And our teacher got called to the office. So he said, here is my opportunity to tell all my friends about Jesus. I was like, oh, man, well, that's pretty cool. Well, what happened? And he goes, well, I walked in front of my whole class of peers. And I looked at him, and I go, hey, guys, I got three questions for you. They also know Timothy, and they're like, oh, gosh, what? He goes, question number one, do you get drunk? These are all seventh grade boys. I'm like, no. He goes, question number two, do you get high? I'm like, no. Question number three, do you chase wild women? All seventh grade boys. They're like, no. And I go, well, what got you in trouble? He goes, what I said next? I go, what would you say? And he goes, well, I looked at him and go, well, you all should because you're going to hell anyways. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we do that style of evangelism, all right? I'm not saying that in the morning you go to work or you go to school, clock in at 8 a.m. and go, I've arrived to my mission field. Jump up on your desk and go, all right, all, right, all you sinners, gather around. <laughs> gather around, you sinners. Turn or burn. Die or fry. I'm not saying that. But here's what I am saying. Would you write this down? Like three things real quick. Would you write this down? Number one, pray. I ask myself, when's the last time I truly wept and prayed over someone who did not know Jesus as Lord and Savior? My mentor used to say it like this. We should never talk to people about God until we talk to God about people. That God can change a heart in a way we can't. That God can soften a heart. Pray. When's the last time you truly prayed for someone? Usually when I talk about this, at this point is when you see demeanors change because we all start thinking of people we love dearly. Maybe it's a grandchild or a child or a parent or a friend or a sibling. How many of you would just say this, Shane? I know someone that I love deeply and they do not know Jesus or they've strayed away from God. How many of you know somebody like that? Yeah. Pray for them. Pray for them. Number two, live differently in front of them. Listen, if our life doesn't look any different than the spiritually lost people around us, there's a problem there. See, the last thing the world needs is another t-shirt with Jesus' face on it. The last thing the world needs, I say this as an author, is another book. What they need is for the church to be the church outside the walls of a building. So live differently. And then number three, we got to open our mouth and tell them about Jesus. Listen, it's not our job to save people. We can't. That's Jesus' job. But it is our job to point them to the one who can save Jesus. So number one, he's giving you a ministry. Number two, would you write this down? He's giving you a message. He's giving you a message to take into your ministry. Look at verse 19. It says, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And look at this. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I love that. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, that God's given us a message to take into our mission field. He's given us a message to take into our ministries, and he's entrusted us with it. How many of you are so glad someone told you about Jesus or invited you to church? Anybody happy about that, glad about that? We can't be selfish with it anymore. And what is that message of reconciliation? It starts with the letter G. It's not a trick question. What is it? It's what? The gospel. 
It's good news. It means this. You have something for Alabama that Amazon can't deliver. The life-saving, life-transformation message of Jesus. That God has entrusted you with it. That God's plan A of reaching Alabama and the United States and the nations with his gospel, his plan A is the church and there's no backup plan. We're the plan. We are the church. And so it begs the question, what is the gospel? May we never get over the gospel. You know who some of my favorite people are? Those who got saved and never got over it. Listen, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, you do not mature past the gospel. You mature in the gospel. So let's be reminded of the gospel that has been shared with us and we get to share with others. That God created us, but sin separated us. See, if you get on Ancestry.com, we all end up at Adam and Eve, right? And they rebelled against the Holy God. And the moment they rebelled against the Holy God, the power of sin entered them. And sin cannot be in the presence of holiness, so now they were separated from God. And when the power of sin entered them, it killed something because we're more than flesh and blood. We're made in the image of God. We have a soul, a spirit. And when the power of sin entered humanity, it killed their soul, their spirit. It made them spiritually dead. It means there was nothing they could do to fix this problem. Here's a relevant word for today. Physical solutions never solve spiritual problems. At the heart of every problem is a heart problem, and only Jesus can change the heart. And you go, well, Shane, so what, man? That was a long time ago. Here's the so what for 2021 in Alabama. Here's the so what. Is sin spread like a disease to every person born after Adam and Eve. So fast forward to me and you. It means this. We were born sinners separated from God. We were born spiritually dead. You know what it means? It means no one in this room or watching online was born a Christian. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you go, hey man, when did you become a Christian? And they go, oh, I've always been a Christian. And what they mean by that is ever since they were in their mama's womb, they went to some building that had a steeple on top or a cross on the side. Now listen, church, this is an awesome building. But does sitting inside of this building make us a, a Christian? Just like sitting inside of Taco Bell is not going to make us a burrito. We understand that, right? Buildings don't make Christians. Jesus does. Christianity is not something you're born into. It's something you have to be reborn into. We were born sinners separated from God. We were born spiritually dead. There's something wrong with every single one of us. There's no holier than thou's in here. You know what's wrong with us? Sin. How many of you admit today, there's something wrong with you? Anybody want to admit that? All right. How many of you are sitting next to someone? And there's definitely something wrong with that person, right? What is it? It's sin. And we're kind of good at it, aren't we? Can we be honest? Aren't we kind of good at sinning? You ever notice how we justify our sin? You ever notice like when someone else sins, we become judges? But when we sin, we become defense attorneys? You ever notice how we compare sin? You're like, hey, I know I ain't perfect, but at least I ain't as bad as John is. He's a big sinner. See, we're good at sinning. It's a big problem, but here's the good news. It's sin is a big problem, but there's a bigger solution named Jesus. See, we're good at sinning, but Jesus is better at saving. Jesus is a better Savior than we are sinners. Isn't that good news? That 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has always existed, took a mission trip from heaven to planet Earth, and he became a man to die as a man for mankind. But he never stopped being God. Fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life that you and I could not live, this sin-free life. 
And then at 33 years old, he did the greatest act of love ever. Don't ever get over this. He took our place on the cross. In fact, let's make it personal. Would everybody just hold up your finger like this? And I want you to point at yourself and say it out loud, my place. Make it personal. He took my place. See, we are sinners. He is sinless. We are messed up. He is perfect. We deserve to be there. When they shoved the crown of thorns on his head, that should have been me. When they spit in his face, that should have been you. When they nailed him to the cross, that should have been us. But our great God took our place as the perfect sacrifice of our sin. He paid our debt. He was our substitute. And he died there. And they took the lifeless body of Jesus off the cross and put it in a borrowed grave. And friends, you know why they put the body of Jesus in a borrowed grave? Because he wasn't going to stay there long. Because three days later, our Jesus busted out of the grave. Showing that God the Father had accepted God the Son's sacrifice on our behalf. He made the way possible to know God. He made the way possible to be forgiven. That's why it's called the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation means broken relationship, now fixed and made new. Our relationship with our Creator was broken because of sin. Jesus made the way possible to become new creation. To be forgiven. To have eternal life. And He ascended into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. Why did Jesus sit down? Not because he was tired. Not because he needed a Starbucks break. He sat down because three very important words he said on the cross. What is it, church? It is what? Finished. He made the way possible to be forgiven. He made the way possible to be reconciled. He made the way possible to have eternal life. But that's not the end of the story. Because one day the trumpet's going to blast and the angels are going to shout. And Jesus is coming back for his church. Do you believe that? People ask all the time, when is Jesus coming back? Especially in 2020 and 2021. They're like, hey, Shane, you think Jesus is about to come back? You think Jesus is about to come back? Hey, what chapter of Revelation we live in today? You think Jesus is about to come back? Listen, I don't know. But one thing I do know is today is a heck of a lot closer than yesterday was. And I do know he's coming back. I love what one evangelist said. He said, the angel Gabriel is going to toot and we're going to scoot. That's cool. I like it. But it begs the question, who's the church? Is it a bunch of buildings? No. It's a bunch of people who, according to the New Testament, repented and believed. Repent means to have a change of heart, change of mind. You realize, man, I'm a sinner, separated from God, and I can't fix this. And I'm on my way to hell. But there's a Jesus who loves me. And we believe upon him. And when we believe upon him as Lord and Savior of our life, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. The same power that ripped him out of the grave now comes to live inside of us. The greatest power in the world. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, we are forgiven. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, that soul, that spirit that was spiritually dead now becomes spiritually alive to never die again. That even when we draw our last breath and our body hits the ground, who we really are goes to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever Amen. How many of you are excited to see Jesus face to face one day? And maybe you're like, good, because I got questions for him. Maybe not. Maybe you just fall on your face and worship him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And to know that one day he'll say no more tears, no more suffering, no more heartache, no more evil, no more sin, no more COVID-19. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Right? See, the gospel of Jesus it's not about making good people better. It's about making dead people alive, and only our Jesus can do that. And that's the message the world desperately needs. It's the message that the people you're around with every single day desperately needs. Because outside these walls is a hopeless world. 
seen the news lately? Been on social media lately? It's a hopeless world, a joyless world, a world full of death and a world full of fighting and conflict. And a hopeless world needs hope. Joyless world needs joy. A world full of death needs life and a world full of conflict needs peace. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Life has a name. Peace has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. And God's entrusted us with that message to go tell the world that. It's not our job to save, but it is our job to point them to the one who can save. Every member on mission is called to know Jesus and make Jesus known. So number one, he's given you a ministry. Number two, he's given you a message. And then number last, real quick, number last, he's given you a means. You know what it means when a preacher says he's almost done? Not much, but it, we're almost done, all right? He's given you a means. Look at verse 20, and we'll be done. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? An ambassador lives in a country, and they're sent by their king to live in a foreign land. And while they're there in that foreign land, their number one job is to represent their home country and their home king. Listen, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit of God, yes, you may be a citizen of the United States or citizens of another country, but our primary citizenship now is the kingdom of God. And our primary king is King Jesus. And I love what S.M. Lockridge used to say many, many years ago. He says, Jesus is king, and you can't impeach him, and he ain't going to resign, and you didn't vote him into office, you can't vote him out of office. He is king. And our number one job now, as ambassadors for Christ, is to know our king and to make our king known and represent the kingdom of heaven. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And then look at this next part. God making his appeal to us. Would you underline that or highlight that in your Bible? God making his appeal to us. We'll come back to that. Look at this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Notice Paul here is like, there's a begging. There's not a, hey, if you feel like it, Hey, if you want to, hey, you know what would be better for you? No, no, he's begging people. He's begging people to know Jesus. He's begging people. You know why? Because he knows how good our Father is. He knows how good King Jesus is. He knows how sweet heaven is and how awful hell is. So he's begging people to know God. He's begging people to experience life. He's begging people to experience the forgiveness of God. He's begging people to make sure that heaven is their home. Notice he's begging. When's the last time we've begged people to know Jesus? When's the last time we've begged God through prayer to save our loved ones and to save people that were around every day? He's begging there. Reminds me of a quote from the Prince of Preachers from the 1800s. Charles Spurgeon. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says with this kind of urgency. There's an urgency here for people to know Christ. He says, if sinners be damned, at least, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around them. Look at this, imploring them to stay. Listen to this next part. If hell must be filled, let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. There's a pleading there. And you go, man, Shane, that's heavy. It is. And it's impossible without the power of God working through us. So number three, God's given you a means. Write that down. God's given you a means. Now, don't be mean. We've already talked about that. God's given you a means, meaning a power. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, 
you have the greatest power there is. I love 1 John 4. It says, he that is in us is greater than what? He that is in the world. Romans 8, if he is for us, who can be against us? We have nothing to fear. That he is our means. He is our power. And then look at verse 20 again. Remember that middle part I told you to underline and highlight? Look at this. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And look at this next phrase. God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. On three, I got it in red up there. Would you read it with me? Ready? One, two, three. God making his appeal through us. So according to that, who's doing all the work? God is. Like God's called us to live on mission, but he is going to be the means by which we do that. So in a sense, God's going to minister through us. God's going to be a missionary through us. God's called us to proclaim a message with our life. But God's going to proclaim that message through us. He is our means. So, yes, God's called us to go into our schools, into our jobs, into our families, into our neighborhoods, into the nations. But God's going to minister through us. He's going to proclaim a message through us. He is our means. He is our power. So I close by giving you a visual illustration of what that looks like. Um, How many of you are movie fans? Any movie fans? All right. All right, like I mentioned earlier, yes, I have six kids that are 14 and under. That is a prayer request, all right? And so whenever our kids find a movie, uh, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. They want to watch it over and over and over and over again. So here's the movie that's taking place in our house right now over and over and over again. All right, do you recognize this movie? All right, do you all recognize that? What is it? Lion King, all right. If you notice, at the beginning of Lion King, if you've ever seen it before, there's the dad lion. What's his name? Mufasa. And he's got a son with him. What's his name? Simba. All right. And they're at the beginning of the movie, and they're on top of Pride Rock. And almost with that voice of God, Mufasa says, Simba, everywhere the light touches is our kingdom. But out there in the land of the shadows, don't go there, because that's the enemy's territory. Because there's an enemy named Scar. Scar had these little workers with him, the hyenas, the three hyenas. Do you remember that? So he says, Simba, don't go there. That's the enemy's territory. But there was a problem. Simba had a little girly friend. What was her name? Nala. So here's kind of my version of how Lion King goes down in that particular setting. Is one day Simba goes to Nala and he says, say boo. <laughs> she's like, what's up, stud muffin? He's like, hey, you want to go to the land of the shadows? And she's like, uh-oh, we're not supposed to go there. He's like, girl, I got you. I'm a cub, stud. And she's like, okay, you're so dreamy. And then they go to the land of the shadows, and then here comes the enemy, the three hyenas chasing them, and they're running and tripping over elephant bones, and then they get backed into a corner, and the enemy surrounds them, and Simba goes, here's my chance to show off in front of my girlfriend. So he takes his little paw, and he scoots Nala behind him, and he looks at the face of the enemy, and he goes, rawr. Do you remember that? And what did the enemy do? Laughed in his face. So here's what I want to tell you up front. If we try to go outside these walls by our own power, we also have an enemy. His name is not Scar. His name is Satan. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's not after the world. He already has a world. He's after who God loves. People made in God's image. He hates what God loves. And so there's a powerful enemy out there. And so if we try to go out by our own power, you know what we're going to sound like as the church? Rawr! The enemy's going to laugh in our face. But here's the good news, and this is good theology. This is good doctrine. Satan 
and Jesus are not equals. Jesus is king. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And one day Satan will bow at the feet of King Jesus right before Jesus throws him into hell for all eternity. So the enemy is very real. But here's good news. Is that we have someone stronger than the enemy. See, we also have a Lion King. Now, I don't want to be cheesy, but it's never less true. We have a Lion King. See, because there's this moment where Simba goes, Rawr! and the enemy laughs. And then, if you remember in the movie, he gathers himself again. And he goes, oh. but right before he roars, there was this other roar that was like, Rawr! and the enemy flies backwards and does backwards somersaults. Now, was it Simba who roared? No, who was it? His father, the Lion King. And he pounces on the enemy. He goes, did you know this was my son? And they were like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And the third one's like, uh-huh, do you remember that? Once again, we have a Lion King. The Bible calls Jesus the King of Kings and the Lion of Judah. We have a Lion King that the enemy is terrified of. But I must say this. Our Lion King does not tell us what Mufasa told Simba. See, Mufasa told Simba, hey, stay right here where it's safe. Hey, stay right here where it's comfortable. Stay right here where it's convenient. Stay right here where it's known. See, if our version of Christianity is always safe, comfortable, and convenient, it's probably not the Christianity of the New Testament. But someone, some Christianity we shaped and formed by our own preferences. See, our Lion King doesn't say, hey, let's stay right here where it's safe. Because our enemy, Satan, you know what he's not scared of? He's not scared of a bunch of Christians sitting in a building, soaking up air conditioning, wagging their finger at the world, going, ah, the world's going to hell in the handbasket. In fact, if culture is content going to hell in a handbasket, it's because the church is too content sitting around doing nothing, waiting to go to heaven. But you know what the enemy's mortified of? The church of God. Realizing they have a message of God. And they take that message because they're living on mission into their ministry, into their mission fields. And then they have the means, meaning they have the power of the Holy Spirit roaring through them. The enemy is terrified of that. See, our Lion King doesn't say, hey, let's stay right here. See, our Lion King says the exact opposite in the Great Commission that's at the end of Matthew 28. You know the Great Commission? What does he say to his disciples? Does he say, hey, everybody, let's stay. Is that what he says? What does he say? He says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go into your schools. Go into your jobs. Go into your families. Go into your neighborhoods. Go into the nations. Go. But here's the good news. is our Lion King doesn't say, hey, go, and good luck to you. Hope it works out. No, no. He gives us a great promise at the end of the Great Commission. Remember the end of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28? What does he say this? And no that I am with you, what church? Sometimes. Is that what your Bible says? No, what does he say? And know that I'm with you, what? Always to the ends of the age. So here's why I don't want you to see a grown man cry on a Sunday morning, but this gets me emotional. This is a reason to get out of bed every morning. Trying to find purpose for your life. So every morning where you wake up saying, good morning, Lord. You say, good Lord, it's morning. This is a reason to get out of bed. It's because as long as you're breathing, God's not done with you. He has a mission for you. 
and see, here's what he says. Go into your schools. Go into your jobs. Go into your families. Go into your neighborhoods. Go into the nations. And know this. I am going with you. And I'm going to minister through you. I'm going to be on mission through you. I'm going to proclaim a message through you. I'm going to roar through you. I'm going to push back darkness through you. I am going with you. And no matter what setting you're in, if Christ is with us, we have nothing to fear. Because he's going to do things through us for his name, his fame, and his glory. And I don't know about you, my friends, but that is a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. You do not retire from this. You just graduate one day. As long as you're breathing, he's not done with you to be on mission of knowing him and making him known. We get to do this. We get to do this. So because we're new creations, he's given you a ministry. He's given you a message. And he is your means. That's what it looks like for every member to be on mission. Let's pray about it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, maybe the one that needs to know Jesus today is you. You can't give away something you don't have yourself. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to believe the Bible. You heard the gospel today. I'm pleading with you right now to know Jesus. And so if you don't have that confidence of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then right now is your time. Listen, I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer, been dunked in water, you can do all that a thousand times and miss it. Do you know Jesus? And if the answer is no, or I don't know, but I want to know for sure, then right now is your time. What I want to ask you to do is just believe the Bible. Romans 10, 9, big picture says this. If we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and he's overcome the grave, we'll be saved. So right now, with heads bowed, eyes closed, and open hearts, I just want you to believe. And I want to help you. And I'll confess with you. So if you go, Shane, I don't know Jesus, and I can't give away someone I don't have myself, so today I need Jesus, or I need to come home, I need to surrender, I want that assurance. The person in my life who needs to know Jesus right now is me. If that's you, then I just want you to confess with me. Right now, just say, God, thank you for creating me. I admit I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus is bigger than my sin. I thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. I believe he is Lord. I believe he is alive. So God, come live inside of me. Forgive me of sin. Make me a new person. Thank you for saving me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. I just want to recognize who you are. If you just confess with me, when no one else looking around, if you just confess with me and you truly meant it, would you just put your hand in the air? And by doing that, I'll know that you just confess with me. Just put it up high. Lock out your elbow. Put your hand up high. And by doing that, you're saying, man, Shane, I confess with you. That was me. I confess with you. I confess with you. How many of you would say this with every head bowed, every eye closed? How many of you would say, Shane, there is someone I love dearly that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and my heart is broken for them. If that's you, would you put your hand up high?
high. Yeah, all over this room, every hand, nearly every hand's raised. Listen, right now, I'm going to pray and say amen. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Is I want you right now to start praying for them by name. Ask God to open their heart. Ask God to open up doors of opportunity for you to share with them. And ask God right now to give you the faith and obedience to walk through those doors when they open. To point them to Jesus. Not our job to save, but it is our job to point them to the one who can save. So right now, if you would just be praying for those names by name. And I'm going to pray and say amen. The moment I say amen, I want you to stand. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we want to know about it. Come grab one of us by the hand. Just say, I confess with Shane. We'll know what you're talking about. If you need prayer this morning, you can come. If you want one of the pastors to pray with you for the person that you're praying for right now, we'd love to do that. If you need any prayer at all, we'll be here. But more than anything, just do some intentional time with the Lord right now. And may none of us walk out of here the same that we walked in. God, we thank you that you're mighty to save. God, we thank you that you saved so many of us in this room. And if you can save us, you can save anybody. We thank you for the gospel. God, we thank you that you've called us to live on mission, to know you and make you known. May everything we say and do be about your name, your fame, your glory, because you deserve that. We pray that in the name above every name, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church of God said, amen. Would you stand?